All right. Good to see all of you again. I know I say that a lot, but I mean it. I mean it. Thank you. Well, hey, we are making our way through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, matter of fact, we are kind of approaching probably just another month left. Uh, chapter 7 will go by a little quicker than chapters 5 and 6. Uh, and tonight we are kind of considering a second part of Jesus' words about anxiety or worry. So I'm going to read the whole passage for us again. Uh, but really tonight, I'm just going to be working off of verses 31 through 34. So kind of keep an eye out for those verses. So here we go. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What will you put on? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we need your help in this time. Be with us, we ask now in Christ's name. Amen. Do not worry. Do not be anxious. If there was one command that was much harder than what meets the ear, I think it was probably this command of do not be anxious, do not worry. Something that I've always kind of struggled with the Christian life is how easy we are about knowing the right things and how bad we are about doing the things we know. In fact, many times when I meet with people, and maybe even I meet with some of you, and I'm listening to someone's problem, and I'm listening maybe to my wife talking about her hardships or someone in my family, and as I'm listening, I begin to think, okay, well, you know, if I want to listen, I want to be, you know, tender and and just be that person who's there for you. But at the same time, I I mean, I don't think it's just a male thing, but I want to help. I want to give advice. I want to potentially give you something that maybe you have forgotten or you don't know that could maybe be a better perspective that would give you kind of light and hope in the middle of your your trial, of your situation. And And I kind of just, you know, try to be wise about how I approach advice and how I give advice. And I don't want people to feel stupid or feel like I'm just coming across as a know-it-all. 
So I'll just find a way, an avenue into the conversation where I'll gently say like, hey, yeah, I totally get it. That's so hard. You know, can, can I just share with you, uh, you know, a passage that kind of just came to mind while you were talking? Is that okay with you? They're like, yeah, sure. And we open up somewhere in the Bible and I lead them to a passage and, and I'll say something like, you know, in, it just seems like right here, what a great reminder where, where the Lord is telling us in his word that because we have Christ, we can just rest in our identity. We can just rest. We don't have to chase the approval of man. We don't have to, you know, worry about money. We can just be free from, from stress. And after I've done all the wisdom of trying to help and be cautious and, and be wise and giving advice, many times the receiving word I've heard has been something along the lines of like, yeah, well, I, I know that already. I know that already. Sinfully in my heart, I instinctively say, I don't say it out loud, I say it in my heart, then why are we talking about this? If you actually knew this hope and the rest of the gospel that you have, why are you having these issues? And that just goes to the point I'm trying to prove, that it's really, really easy as Christians to accumulate a bunch of knowledge, to know the commands where Jesus says, you're right, don't, don't be anxious, don't be worried, right? Don't, don't just seek after the things of the world. We know that, but there's a huge disconnect between our minds and our hearts. And more than that, sometimes there's a big disconnect between our hearts and our hands. Jonathan Edwards, a very famous American theologian during the First Great Awakening, talked about this a little bit, and he said, many people know that it's a good thing and, and the right thing to give to the poor. Many people believe that it is good to help the poor. Now, let me ask you a question. Go ahead and raise your hand. Raise your hand if you also believe that. You believe that it's good to help the poor. Okay? Yeah, as I assumed, everyone's hand goes up. Now, here's what Jonathan Edwards is really helpful. He says, however, if someone says they believe that it's good to help the poor, but they have never actually given money to the poor or help to the poor, do they really believe that? Do they really believe that? You see, there's a difference between having a conviction and having a belief. There's a difference between knowing something like I shouldn't worry and actually believing that I don't need to worry. And so when we approach Jesus' words here, just be mindful that the most repeated command in all of Scripture, I think it's something about 250 times, give or take, is this command, do not fear. Do not fear. How many times does God have to tell his people in Scriptures, do not fear? And yet we all know that, right? We all know we shouldn't fear, but the bottom line is we, we fear a lot of things. We fear of being rejected. We fear of being an outcast. We fear of being made fun of. We fear not being able to make enough friends. We fear not being successful or living up to expectations. And more than that, we let these fears and these worries that we have drive us. Please know this, middle schoolers and high schoolers, that the controlling Belief in your heart will always steer the actions and the words of your life. 
If you want a good indication of what someone is really believing in their heart, look at how they live. Look how they talk. Who do they hang out with? What do they pursue? What is their interest? What are their desires? And when you get a picture of that, you really get a picture of what they are truly believing in. And all of this is really important because this whole sermon, if you want to just condense version of this whole sermon, is, is what does it look like to be someone who lives in the kingdom of God? What does it truly look like for someone to say, although I am a citizen in America, my ultimate citizenship is not in this earth, it's not in this country or this state or this city, my citizenship is in heaven where Christ is. If you truly believe that, not that you just say it or have the conviction, Jesus is letting us see what should that look like. What should your motives be? What should your desires be? What should your characteristics about what you look like be if you are truly a citizen in Jesus' kingdom? And so this is why Jesus begins, if you remember months ago, in in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, right? He talks about these things called the blessings, the Beatitudes, that the character norms of those who belong to Jesus, who pursue his kingdom, are people who are increasingly willing in humility to say, I bring nothing to this kingdom. I am spiritually bankrupt. If you are actually able to do this, which, you, matter of fact, you are, that's what the church is, but imagine if you, you got 100 people who are living as they should as Christians, and you got a hundred people in another room who weren't Christians. When you go to the room where there's Christians, here's what you should see. I'm not saying that you will always see it because they are sinners too, but you should see people who are grieving their own sin more than they are grieving the sins of other people. You will see people who are more willing to suffer injustice before they would rather sin against somebody. What you'll see in the room with more Christians is an appetite and a desire to pursue things like justice and the things that are right and the things that are good and helping the poor. These are all the Beatitudes that Jesus is talking about, right? You will see people who are truly merciful. The kind of people when they say they forgive you, they actually forgive you. And you actually believe it and trust that they are giving you grace. They're pure in heart. They are the people who are the peacemakers. That instead of letting divisions continue to grow and turning their back on people, they seek to reconcile relationships in this world. So Jesus here In this whole sermon, he's giving us a picture again and again and again about what does it look like to follow him. And right in the middle of this sermon we talked about last week, Jesus is instructing us about what does our relationship with our Father look like? That we don't have to babble on in our words. We don't have to be hypocrites when we pray. God, our Father, he knows what we're going to pray for before we even say the words. 
We don't need to practice our religion and our righteousness so that other people may look at us. We, we, we practice our righteousness before God primarily. And more than that, Jesus says, if you were in my kingdom, you don't just go around trying to get nicer cars, nicer degrees, nicer trips, although those things are fine. The things that you are truly trying to accumulate for yourselves are things that actually last, treasures in heaven. Jesus is making a point here. At some point, every single one of you in this room, you will have to make a decision for yourself. Will I put my heart into serving the king and his kingdom? Or will I serve the desires and the pleasures of this world? We are very tempted to think that we can do both. But do me a favor, look back down on your Bibles. Look at chapter 6, verse 24. Jesus is very clear. In my kingdom, you must know this. No one can serve two masters. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus wants all of you. He gets all of you. He deserves all of you. We don't pick jobs simply because it makes us a lot of money. We pick a job in which we can find a way in which we can provide for ourselves and our families in a way in which we can honor God. We don't just pick the biggest house that's going to give us the most comfort. We begin to pick houses in a way. How can I be hospitable? How can I be someone who's close to other people or I can be a good neighbor and share the love of Christ with them. We don't just buy things simply for our own sake. We, in everything, we are thinking about the kingdom. Every decision I make, I'm thinking about the kingdom. And that's why Jesus even goes on a little further into this thought. And last week we began into this, and he says in verse 25, therefore, if you can't serve both God and money, I tell you this, don't be anxious about, don't be worried about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It is not life more than food. Jesus is saying this. There's even a temptation to let the, the small things of life overshadow our ambitions for living a life in the kingdom. You see, one of the things that really makes me sad about modern Christianity in a lot of ways is most people are bored with God. They're bored with church. You know, sure, every once in a while we sing a song that we really like and it kind of raises the religious kind of experience for a second. Maybe we can point back to a moment or two where we went to a camp or we heard a sermon and it kind of made us feel something. But by and large, in the ordinary day-to-day life, we are not excited about God. I think for many of us, that stems because we are still trying to decide, will I rather live for my own kingdom, my own ambitions, my own desires, or will I live for the Lord? You see, once you understand the all-encompassing kingdom of God to which we are called to be citizens of, you begin to realize that there is not a moment in our day, not a thing that we do, 
that doesn't in some way reflect and bear upon my relationship with my Heavenly Father. Even worrying about the food that we eat, the clothes that we wear, the things that we do, Jesus is saying those things have the opportunity to take your heart away from truly seeking the kingdom. And that's what we talked a little bit last week. But what I want to do tonight is I want to just kind of talk about some of the issues that this passage also raises for us. What, what ultimately does fear and worry and anxiety make us look like? And what is Jesus' solution to it? So two points tonight, I'll try to be quicker. I know, very long introduction, but I think it's helpful to get the whole context of Jesus saying the whole kingdom is all-encompassing. So with that said, let's go ahead and look down at verse 31. So Jesus is giving a therefore, right? So he's summarizing all the many arguments that he's been making from verse 25 all the way to 30. I think there's like four arguments or so. And he says this, therefore, do not be anxious, right? So his, his application to all that what he just said, God cares about the sparrows, how much more does he care about you? You know, God clothes the lilies, how much more beautiful, you know, how much more than is the argument? Therefore, don't be anxious, right? Look at verse 32. For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So the first thing that Jesus says here for us is that ultimately, a lack of trust in God is pagan. Is pagan. Now, sometimes we kind of joke around with that word pagans, right? When we see someone like doing something a little suspicious or odd, we kind of say, you pagans, you know. Um, pagan ultimately is a word that's just kind of talking about the person who doesn't actually live or move through this life with believing that there is a heavenly father who takes care of them. Matter of fact, the, the pagan is the atheist. The atheist does not believe that there's anyone there who is actually sustaining all of life for them. You know, every single day when you wake up, it was the Lord who allowed the cosmos to continue to run. It was the Lord who allowed your heart to continue to beat. It was the Lord who continues for the, the systems of government to provide us a stable life where we can go to work, go to school, do the things that we need to do. The Lord is the sustainer of all things. But ultimately, here's what the pagan believes. That they have to think about themselves. That there's no one out there who's ultimately going to take care of them except for themselves. See, a lot of time, a lot of times kids in orphanages aren't used to getting the nurture the constant feeding, and the love that comes from a baby. Matter of fact, I have, I have two um, siblings, uh, my, my wife's siblings, two of them are adopted from China. And I remember when they were little kids, uh, my brother-in-law, Luke, who's like, I think, 18 now, I met him when he was three. And when he first came to America, they would find cups everywhere hidden in the cabinets and under his bed full of like, it was like half a banana, a bunch of Cheerios, right? And you think it's just a kid who like finds his, you know, puts his snack somewhere and then forgets about it. 
but he would hide it in random places like a squirrel because he would never remember where he put it. And a lot of times, too, he would hide food in his cheek. And you had to force him to swallow. And the reason he did that is because of the orphanage that he was at in China, food never came regularly to him. That in order to kind of, even as a three-year-old, there's like this survival instinct that kicks in that the second I have anything extra, save it. Right? And that's why we talk about an orphan mentality is an orphan mentality thinks I need to protect myself. I am in the world by myself. No one's going to help me. So I'm going to do everything that I can to make sure that I'm safe. And a lot of times, spiritually speaking, we act just like orphans. That we instinctively do not trust that God is our ultimate comfort, that he is our treasure, that he is our reward, that he is our refuge. And when hard things come, when the social pressures of life come, an awkward moment faces us, rejection, loss, grief, it's almost like the little orphan comes out, spiritually speaking, and we run to really bad things that give us refuge. We run to things like food. We run to things like success. Uh, Many people run to things like um, sex, thinking that this will be my comfort. This will make me feel safe. And Jesus is saying, this is how the pagan acts. The pagan who doesn't believe they have a heavenly father, but you have a heavenly father. Father. So ultimately, people who live in the kingdom, people who believe that Jesus is their king, are people who never have to worry about being fed, about being clothed, or about being or having a house because we have a heavenly Father who is going to take care of us. I don't have to stash away food. And there's a sense that last week, you know, we talked about like this lack of fear or anxiety doesn't mean that we don't work hard. Of course we do. So Jesus is saying, listen, if you are overly worried about making sure that you look the right way, that you talk the right way, that you have the right credentials around your name, it is taking away from your ability to truly seek the kingdom. Stop it. Stop worrying about these things. Yes, pray. Yes, work hard. Yes, do the things you need to do to provide and take care of yourselves. But do not let yourself worry about these things. I'll give you one, one illustration. Years ago, my first year as a youth pastor here, I remember I was talking to um, a kid at the time. He's grown up a little bit. He was a freshman. And he came to youth group one time, and then I didn't see him for like four or five months. And so he came back once, and I said, Hey, man. I love seeing you here. What's up? Why don't you have a youth group? It's like, oh, I'm just really busy uh, trying to do my homework. I'm like, hey, man, homework is a good thing. You should do that. Uh, but, man, just try to do it earlier in the day. You should come to youth group, right? Get the whole weekend. He's like, no, man, my parents, I, I got a schedule for my life. I'm going to do this, and then my junior year, I'm going to do a running start. And then after that, I'm going to go, and I'm going to get my bachelor's degree at this college, and I'm going to join the Air Force, and I'm going to become you know, this kind of pilot. And after that, I want to go work for this car company. And it's like he had his whole life mapped out to like the age of 45. I just listened. 
And you, you see how like he was so worried about making sure that his life turned out this way that he couldn't even come to youth group because he had to make sure that he was doing his homework. See, that, that, that is priorities all wrong. Now, what, what you're not hearing me say is, Aaron says, I don't have to do my homework. I can just read the Bible and pray and I'm good to go. No. That's a good example, and it's an extreme example, don't get me wrong, of someone, though, who's so worried about making it in life that his life and relationship with Christ is just void. And a matter of fact, you know, I'll just speak about it, you know, pray for this person, I won't say his name, but it's the downward spiral of his life, too, spiritually. It's just, it's sad. It's important to work hard, to get good grades, to, to, to be wise in those things. I'm not, far be it, but what Jesus is saying, don't worry about it in such a way that it distracts you from serving the king. Because ultimately, when you do that, it's ultimately pagan. It's what unbelievers do. So my question as application would come, my question for you is this. When, when hard things happen in your life, when worries and anxieties creep up in your life, do you doubt and worry and have anxiety in a different way than the world would? If you're complaining about a hardship that you're struggling with, and maybe someone else who wasn't a Christian had the same struggle and hardship, would your complaining sound exactly the same? Is how you deal with the hardships of your life distinct from the world? I hope, I hope this makes sense. I'm not saying at times we won't ever struggle with worry, struggle with anxiety, but as Christians, we, we need to be distinct in this way. And so moving on to the, the second point, the last point, what is the solution, right? Why, why does all of this not worrying about the small things of life, worrying about your Minecraft, worrying about what people think of me, why does all that matter? And what, what should the response be? Look at verse 33, very important verse. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Will be added to you. Now, really quick, let me just kind of explain a little problem that people sometimes have with this passage, okay? Sometimes people think, okay, if I serve God, if I do what I'm supposed to do, God will make sure that I get everything taken care of. What do you do about the people and the missionaries who become martyrs by starvation? What do you do about all the people who at times didn't have everything that they needed? Is this an empty promise? Is this Jesus just kind of being hyper, using hyperbole here? And so what I want to just be very clear about, when, when Jesus says God will provide, he'll add these things to you, he is talking about the basic necessities, food, clothing, and housing. As Americans, we do not understand what basic necessities are. People in the West do not understand what we think we need in order to survive, right? We think that we need electricity, refrigeration. We need all of this, you know, the, the, the pleasures and comforts we have in life. We need a nice bed. We need our pillows. We need your Wi-Fi. I need my iPhone. Jesus here is talking about the basics. That's one thing we need to realize here. But two, remember, 
Remember back to the Beatitudes. Blessed are you when you suffer for righteousness' sake. What Jesus is saying here, he's not saying it's an automatic, because sometimes the Lord will call us to suffer for the kingdom. Matter of fact, Jesus is the perfect example of that. He is the man of sorrows who is well acquainted with grief. And his death and resurrection on the cross are, are a perfect picture that as people who live in the kingdom, we are not promised to get every kind of pleasure and comfort that we want. What Jesus is saying here is let God take care of the providing. He is the one who does it anyways. Right? He's not making some absolute promise that everything will fall into your life if you just serve God. People love to kind of use this as a prosperity verse. What Jesus is saying, it is God's job to provide. It is your job to pursue the kingdom. You work and you worry and you have desires all about seeking the kingdom and its righteousness. Those are two things. First thing, seek the kingdom a present, active, you know, continuous verb of helping us understand that I am constantly someone who doesn't have to worry or stress or be anxious about, am I going to get enough money this month? Am I going to get enough food? Am I going to get the, the school or the job that I want? We can work towards those things. But what I need to really put my worry and interest and desires in is, am I seeking the kingdom? Am I doing my best job to make sure that the people in my life, although it might be small, experience more of the presence of the king? Think about Jesus. Everywhere Jesus went, there was justice, there was mercy. There's goodness, there's patience, there's kindness, there's gentleness, there's grace. Jesus fed the hungry. Jesus healed the blind, cured the leper. Jesus taught. Anywhere Jesus went, there was the kingdom. Jesus is truly someone, everywhere he went, the kingdom, there it is on display. And what Jesus is saying, that is what you need to be seeking in your life. Now, how, how do you relate this to a life of a high schooler or middle schooler? Do you realize that, that when you do your homework, that when you obey your parents, that when you are choosing what to be entertained by, even when you walk into this room for youth group, you have an opportunity to, to glorify the king, to seek the kingdom by, by making the presence of the king known. That you can be someone who just simply takes notice of the person who maybe is feeling a little left out, seeking the kingdom. You see someone who's struggling, who's hurting, and maybe you don't even say anything, maybe you just pray for them. Lord, may they feel the peace and the comfort of Christ. Help them, Jesus, I pray. You are seeking the kingdom. Matter of fact, the kingdom of God is not like a geographical kingdom right? 
Can you look on the, the globe and see, okay, this little, you know, circle squiggly line of a nation, this is where the kingdom of God is. It's a spiritual kingdom. Its borders are not confined to any landmass. And so, therefore, guys, listen, the only way the kingdom expands, you ready for this, is for more and more people to come under the rule and reign of the king. The only way to seek the kingdom and to see the kingdom grow is to bring people who are not in the kingdom into the kingdom. And the way you come into the kingdom is by learning about this king and learning how this king ultimately is the king who has left his father's glory, entered into common, ordinary humanity, died for his enemies, embraces them, clothes them in his righteousness, makes them worthy before his father, and shares everything that, the, that his father gave him, and he shares it with us. And that's the job of seeking the kingdom. It is bringing more people under the rule and reign of Christ. It's evangelism. And more than that, Jesus says, not only seek the kingdom, but seek his righteousness. We, a lot of times, we are really slow to understanding that seeking the kingdom is not just telling people about Jesus. Hey, Jesus died for your sins. You should repent and come to church now and read your Bible a lot and make sure you pray. Sadly, I think that's so much of our evangelistic efforts. But more than just seeking the kingdom, we are to seek its righteousness. Christians are the ones who have historically, over the ages, have started schools, who've started hospitals, who've been the front lines of people who offer mercy and care, who take care of the widows and the orphans. And we truly, and in many ways, seek what is good and what is just. Remember, Jesus says, blessed are you if you hunger and if you thirst for righteousness. By seeking righteousness, we are repulsed by unrighteous things. We look at the world, we look at all the things on Netflix, and we grieve and we mourn because we ultimately know that it is not righteous. Do you see how none of these things, me praying about whether or not God wants me to go to Africa for six months to help in the, the orphanage. Do you realize how that will never be on your radar if you're only just worried about your own life? Do you realize only thinking about you and your friends will never put you in the right frame of mind to wonder, how can I love this person over here who's struggling to make friends? Do you realize if, if you're only thinking about the next thing that you can get to eat or wear or the, the, the thing that you want to be entertained by, you'll never learn to have an appetite for righteousness. So, I mean, the, the question Jesus is really making in these couple of verses, are, are you going to be distinct from the Gentiles and the pagans? And, you know, I'm kind of preaching a little hard. I, I realize that, guys, but listen, this is something that maybe I'm a little slow in my own life to recognize that we really struggle with just wanting to live an easy and comfortable life 
And Jesus is saying, it is getting in the way of you truly serving God. I challenge you, I encourage you. Have you ever thought about things in which God is maybe calling you to give up? Has he called you to take a step of faith? Like a couple of months ago, my wife and I were taking a walk and we were just talking about our lives, we're dreaming a little bit. And, um, you know, I, I, honestly, I think the conversation came up to adoption. And honestly, I don't have any more room in my house to put a kid in. I don't have any more cars to fit people in there, you know, like they're full. And yet we still wonder, is there a step of faith that God is calling us to that we're just kind of we're comfortable, right? Like so much of my Christianity, it's comfortable. Like, isn't there a sense in which sometimes God is calling us to, to seek the righteousness and, and, and let us just, God will provide doesn't it say that right there? All these things will be, God will, don't worry about how you're going to make it work. You, you seek the kingdom. You pursue the righteousness. God will take care of it. He's the one who provides. Now, don't understand, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying I'm adopting a kid, but you know, these are conversations I'm trying to have in my own faith. Do I just want the comfortable Christianity where I just come here, get a sermon, sing a few songs, and... Monday through Saturday, it's mostly just me seeking my own kingdom. These are hard words. And so Jesus ends by saying this in verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. One thing I really appreciate about Jesus here in this last little section is he helps us be practical. Practically speaking, it makes no sense to worry about problems that are going to happen tomorrow. Right? Practically speaking, it makes no sense to worry about what career I'm going to have in 20 years. Why is that practical? Because there's enough things to worry about today. And so, matter of fact, what I actually appreciate about this verse is Jesus, when he, when he keeps telling us again and again and again in this passage, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, Here's the thing, there are things that we are to be worried about. There are struggles, there are problems, there are things to be figured out today. But none of these things should lead us to the point to where we feel like we're the orphan, that we have to fight for ourselves. None of these things should lead us to the point to where we are choosing our own desires over seeking the kingdom. We should be worried about what the Lord has for us today and let tomorrow be anxious for itself. So guys, if there's just a closing word I had for you from this passage, I know this is a, a, you know, a special passage that people run to when they are anxious, when they are worried. But I think that the meat of this passage is really this. What is in the way in your life that is stopping you from truly living a life that is seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness? What are the things that you're worried about having, the comfortable things we enjoy, 
that are crowding out the things that should lead us to a life of considerable faith and righteousness. And I'll give you one illustration, and I'll be done. And this is the illustration that I used um, at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. A lot of times when you go to a Mexican restaurant, they give you chips, right? And they're usually warm, and they probably have salt in them, but you get the salt shaker anyways, and you make them more salty. And if it's a good Mexican restaurant, they bring out all these different types of salsas, right? As a kid, me and my brothers, man, we would crush like four or five baskets. Yeah, my parents, I don't know. They may let me do that. But eventually, after like four or five baskets, they would say to us all, don't fill up on chips. Don't fill up on chips. Many of us, the reason why we don't have an appetite and why we're bored with God is because we are filled up with so many of the things about what we will eat, what we will drink, what we will do tomorrow, social media, whatever it is, money. Jesus says, God sees the sparrows and he takes care of them. He'll take care of you. God clothes the lilies of the field. He'll he'll clothe you. In my kingdom, though, with me as king, you have to be all in. Seek the kingdom. Seek its righteousness. Don't put your hand to the plow and look back to the world. Choose Christ and serve him faithfully. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us grace to do this more. We confess, Lord, that many times we are distracted. God, we are filled up with other desires. God, we repent of these things. But Lord, we pray that it be the tenderness and the gentleness of Christ and who he is, that he is a gentle savior, that he's lowly in heart. And Lord, it's not that as if it's all just sacrifice. At times, Lord, it is. Sometimes we need to sacrifice things to serve you. But Lord, also you know that seeking your kingdom and your righteousness, Lord, is for our good. That many times, God, the things of this world do not leave us satisfied. They lead us smell, leave us smell nourished and hungry for more. Or God, we just become slaves to our sin and to our desires. But help us, Lord, to drink from the wells of Christ, that in him we would truly be satisfied that we would not worry, that we would not have to be the orphan because we know that we have Heavenly Father who will take care of us. Help us, Lord, in this week to find ways in all of the things that we do to seek the kingdom and his righteousness. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.